Hello, hello, hello. We're good. Good morning, everybody. I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. Continuing in our series today, <clears throat> um, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, I apologize uh, that I'm going to be drinking water a lot through the sermon because um, I'm getting over this cold, and I, it, the cold's gone, but the throat, like, you know, stuff is still there, so I just don't want to be coughing up stuff in the middle of a, a sermon, so there'll be a lot of that. Uh, the second thing is I uh, just wanted to remind everybody or, or let everybody know if you haven't heard uh, we have finalized the, the date and time for the memorial service for Marlene Erdman. Um, Marlene um, passed away a few weeks ago. She was a member of our congregation uh, just about since the beginning, back to our theater days, um, and we just want to celebrate her life and mourn the loss well. Uh, so that'll be October 13th at 6.30 p.m. in here. Uh, this will, of course, be in addition to our normal uh, 10 a.m. service. Um, and third uh, thing to mention before the sermon gets going is that um, <clears throat> we're uh, right now the, for the past actually six months or so, the elders of New Hope have been kind of in a period of discernment. And a while back, we asked the congregation um, if there would be anyone that they're feeling called to nominate uh, as an elder. Uh, and three individuals uh, have decided to go forward with the nomination process that they received uh, from you all, uh, so we're happy to uh, continue to announce that Katie Graves, Aby, Brian Wagner, and Jen First have uh, been nominated to, to serve on our elder team. Uh, they've been uh, kind of meeting with our elder board over the past sub- several months. Uh, they're tremendous individuals, and uh, we're just in a season right now where if anyone feels that there is a reason why those, why those individuals shouldn't uh, serve in that function, that they're to come to one of the elders privately, specifically our lead elder, Kevin Jones. Uh, but other than that, otherwise, we're looking forward to, to confirming them on the elder team uh, next month. So with that, I'll ask the congregation to please stand for the reading of the Word of God. This is Matthew 5, starting in verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Brothers and sisters, all flesh is grass. The beauty of that grass is like the flower of a field. The grass withers, the flower fades. But this, the word of our God, is steadfast and endures forever. Amen? Amen. Have a seat. Now, you read a text like this, and, and I'm sure that lots of things go on in your mind. You know, lots of things are going through your head. Lots of questions are running. But the number one question I would imagine that you're asking is, why is Tom Cruise on the cover of the bulletin? 
I've had the opportunity to come up with lots of other movie references in connections to sermons over the years. And the one for today, well, it's not exactly the one I'm most proud of, but, you know. That being said, I couldn't get it out of my head this week. You see, in this text, Jesus says that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Now, the law and the prophets, Jesus um, Jesus references them, can basically be understood as a reference to the entire Hebrew Bible or to the Old Testament, if you'd like. Jesus was known for doing some rather controversial things in relation to Jewish traditions of the day. Specifically, his actions regarding what could happen on Sabbath were especially tricky. So it's possible that what Jesus was doing here is to kind of clarify his relationship with what came before. He says, please don't think that I came to offer God's plan B. No, I came, what I came to do is in continuity with what came before. He says, I didn't come to abolish the Old Testament. I came to fulfill it. Now, the word fulfill is the Greek word uh, pleireo. It means to make full or to fill up or to render full or maybe to complete. The danger here is that we would assume that Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament means that he makes it null and void or not relevant. And this This is a big, bad, dangerous piece of theology that has done lots of damage throughout world history. If I said that I completed a book, you would rightly understand me saying that I reached the final page, I closed the book, and I put it back on its shelf, having read it completely. But when Jesus says that he fulfills the Old Testament, he doesn't mean that he completes it in the way that he, like, finishes a book. He means that he completes it in the Jerry Maguire sense of the word. You may have seen the movie, you may have not, doesn't matter. Towards the end of the movie, the character Jerry Maguire, played by Tom Cruise, he comes into his house while his wife, played by Renee Zellweger, is having a book club or something. And so the house is filled with her friends and he and his wife have just had this really nasty fight and you're not sure if they're going to be able to patch things up. And Jerry Maguire, though, he's coming from this really great day at his job, but he realizes that the day wasn't complete without his wife by his side. So he comes in, and he, he says hello to everybody in the living room, and he says, well, if this is where we have to do this and have this conversation, so be it. So then he goes into this big, moving speech to his wife that ends with him saying, him looking her in the eye and saying, you complete me. You complete me. And then she says, you had me at hello. And, you know, they hug and the movie ends. When Jerry Maguire told his wife that she completes him, he did not mean that their life together was over. In fact, just the opposite. He meant that in you, I find my wholeness. In light of you, I find my true self. And I believe that's what Jesus meant when he said that he fulfills the law and the prophets. The theologian Jonathan Pennington puts it this way. He says, Matthew's Jesus is striking, striking at the knees of many, any misunderstanding 
of Christianity as anti-Semitic, anti-nomian, meaning anti-moral law, or unrefined and flat-footed. Jesus has not come haphazardly, irreverently, or thoughtlessly to attempt to abolish, overthrow, disregard, or snidely ignore the Mosaic Covenant and God's work among His chosen people in the past. He is not a sophomoric or lunatic revolutionary proclaiming freedom from all moral and ethical constraints. This would be a gross misrepresentation of Christianity. When I was in high school, I worked as a dishwasher for Milano's in Parkville. Anybody ever been there? It was good, yeah, right, yeah. The restaurant, it wasn't anything too special, but it did have really good pizza and subs, and I got for lunch every, or for dinner, every night, they gave me a free, you know, cheesesteak and fries, and at the time, my metabolism was just doing great business, and all was well with the world, and, and one night, <clears throat> I got into this conversation with a prep cook about matters of faith, and, and he told me that he was a Christian, and, and he said something to the effect of, yeah, man, I'm a Christian. Isn't it great that Christ died for our sins and I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whomever I want, and I still get forgiven. Now, <clears throat> I was 16 years old, and I had only been a Christian for a few years, but, but I could tell that something about what this prep crook was serving up wasn't quite fresh. I said, well, Jesus' forgiveness of our sins is grace, and it's based on his love for us, not based on our ability to earn his love through obedience, but shouldn't we respond to that love by following his lead? Actually, that's what I wish I said. I probably mumbled something about what would Jesus do or some crap like that, and, you know, forgive me, I was 16. Dietrich Bonhoeffer would come to call this prep cook's attitude cheap grace. Bonhoeffer said, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship and grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. And we don't even need to leave the book of Matthew to discover that this isn't what Jesus had in mind. The final words of Matthew's gospel are the words of Jesus, saying to his disciples, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Clearly, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection were not things that were meant for us to accept and then go about life thinking, well, Jesus sewed up all that really nicely. He sewed up that law stuff really really quite nicely. No, Jesus wasn't abolishing the law and the prophets. He was fulfilling it by offering a definitive interpretation of it. It fulfilled it by claiming that his, uh, he fulfilled it by claiming his rightful authority over it. Um, and did you notice that he does this by claiming that the super extra holy people of the day, that phrase comes from the Jesus Storybook Bible. I was actually reading this like kind of heavy academic 
you know, uh, uh, that guy Jonathan Pennington, uh, Tome the other day on the Sermon on the Mount, and, and he goes ahead and quotes the Jesus Storybook Bible. I was like, oh, I love that. That's great. Jesus, he, 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 he claims that these super extra holy people of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees, they didn't even have what it takes to cut the mustard of the kingdom. The cut the kingdom mustard, whatever you want. The truth is that even the super religious people of the day don't even understand what it means to truly be the people of God. Jesus said, not an iota, not a dot, not a letter, not a stroke of a letter will pass away until this mission of mine is accomplished. I'm not interested in removing one dot off the top of a lowercase j when it comes to the sacred texts of our people, but I do want to show you that I am their fulfillment. In me, they have found uh, their consummation. Jesus was the culmination of the long story God was telling through his people Israel. Now, the problem is that today, when we hear the word law, we think of judges and rules and regulations and police departments and lawyers and courtrooms. We think of the scales of justice. So when we think of the law of the Bible, we might think of the law that God gave to his people through Moses. Specifically, we might think of the Ten Commandments or other law that is outlined in the book of Exodus or other books of Torah. And that's true as far as it goes, but if you are going to really study the law, and the prophets for that matter, we would quickly come across a big problem, or at least a big opportunity. See, the law is given to Israel and to us in the context not of a of a legal tome, there's not a legal textbook or a, a book with lots of right angles and stuff. The law of Israel is given to us within the context of a story. It's one thing to obey a rule. What does it mean to obey a story? Earlier this year, we looked at the story of the patriarchs in the book of Genesis. We looked at Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and Jacob's sons who became the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. These stories began the larger narrative of Israel and rooted them in their covenant identity of God's people. A covenant is holy promise. God called this man Abram to leave his family, to leave everything that he knew and come follow him. And he said to Abraham, go from your country, from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, Abram, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So when Jesus comes to fulfill the law and the prophets, he came to fulfill that promise. Jesus is how he did it. Years later, Israel finds itself in bondage to slave drivers in Egypt. For Lent this year, we're going to go through the the story of Egypt, the book of of, of Exodus. And God calls this man Moses to deliver them, leading them to freedom into a promised land where they can be light to this ancient world and be the kind of and be what it means to be God's people. And at the beginning of the story God tells Moses that he had heard the cry of his people. 
When Jesus says that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets, he's saying that God has heard the cry of his people. Not just the cries of the people oppressed by the Roman Empire, but the cries of people who are in bondage, bondage to their sin and to death. And so, after the people get into the promised land, a kingdom develops that is only ever a shadow of what it could have been if God's people had kept God as king. But instead, they say, no, God, we want to be like everybody else, which is just about the biggest slap in the face of God if there ever was one. And God allows them to have a king, though. And some of the kings were better than others. None of them are perfect. And Israel repeatedly falls for idols and then falls in defeat to ancient superpowers, whatever the ancient superpower of the day happened to be. The best it ever got, probably, was this guy named David, King David, who was supposed to have been a man after God's own heart. And the epic of David uh, was about as exciting as it gets in the Old Testament. And eventually, David goes from being this lowly shepherd boy to this great king. The thing was, as the story of David unfolds, we find out that David was still only a man. And his failings got the better of him, uh, got the better not only of himself, but also of Israel. And one day, through the prophet Nathan, God says these words to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you and who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Friends, listen very carefully, even though you know what I'm about to say. When Jesus says, I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets, he is declaring that in him, this promise is fulfilled. He is the king that is going to establish a forever kingdom, just like he is the deliverer who has heard his people's cry and will lead them out of bondage, just like he is their father who will bless them, who will bless the world with what he is about to do, that they are blessed to be a blessing. You see, Jesus, when it comes to the Old Testament, Jesus is Adam and Noah and Abraham and Moses and David, all as they were meant to be. He is father, deliverer, king, prophet, priest, and pastor. He is the culmination of the story of Israel. In him, Israel is whole, complete, and fully realized. You want to know what it looks like to truly live out the law and the prophets, to truly be a Hebrew, to truly be blessed to be a blessing. Then you have to look at Jesus and follow his lead. No substitutes. Accept no substitutes. You see, there was a contrast here 
between the supposed religious leaders of the day, who were the scribes and the Pharisees, and the will of God. And Jesus says, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. He's referencing the scribes and the Pharisees. The ones who held the keys of the kingdom were these super extra holy religious leaders. And Jesus is contrasting himself with them. When Jesus says, whoever does them and teaches others to do the same is called great in the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about himself. He is the one who has authority over the identity of Israel. He is the one who has authority over the past, present, and future of Israel. He's not abolishing the law and the prophets. He's reclaiming it. And he's calling everyone to repent and turn in his direction because the kingdom of heaven is now. That alone is a pretty awesome story. But that's not the end. It's not the end by a long shot. Jesus then says something that on its own might seem like a hard pill to swallow. He says, For I tell you that unless, that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, unless your righteousness exceeds these super extra holy people, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, This is late in the sermon to mention a new theological term, but stick with me for a moment. When Jesus refers to righteousness, he is referencing whole person existence and behavior that is in accord with God's nature, will, and coming kingdom. Let me say that again. When Jesus refers to righteousness, he is referring to whole person, whole person existence, whole person behavior, behavior that is in accord with God's nature, with who God is, with his will, what his plan is, and his coming kingdom, the things that are to come. Others have pointed out, especially in dealing with Paul, that our righteousness refers to our justification. How do you justify yourself before God? Because one of the other things that Torah teaches us is that our righteousness has been broken by sin. Our once holy and perfect union with God was broken by our own choice to go our own way rather than follow God's lead. This has been a problem for Jew and Gentile alike. And now Jesus is pointing out that the only righteous pla- uh, that only the righteous have a place in God's kingdom. And the thing about this principle this is this, is, is this, and this is so important for us to get. This is so important that, that when it comes to righteousness, God not only desires righteousness from us, He desires righteousness for us. He not only desires righteousness from us, He doesn't want us to just obey His rules. He desires righteousness for us. He desires holiness for us. Because it, is, because it is the only way that we can be in a holy, righteous union with Him like the one that was lost in the garden. We might have this desire that God is going to look at our sin and say something like, ah, don't worry about it. Nobody's perfect, right? But, but, but that's not the good news. That's not the gospel. The problem is we have a righteousness deficit. 
because of our sin that has separated us from our holy God and our internally loving God desires nothing but holiness for us. So here's what happened. Now, I've told this story before. I'm not sure if I've told it from the pulpit. If you've ever been in like a house church with me, I've probably told this. But I love it so much, and it illustrates what's going on here. So if you've heard it before, I apologize. There was once a man who goes to the MVA. And I'm already, you know, making, putting my own spin on this story, putting it in Maryland. He goes to the MVA, and he needs to get his driver's license renewed. And he's about a month out from the, from the driver's license being, you know, the, the, the ending uh, of it being uh, revoked. So he, he needs to make sure that he gets this thing figured out. And the, he sits down with the people, and they say, oh, there's a problem, sir. Um, looks here like you have, like, a whole lot of parking tickets. You have parking tickets, and you have speeding tickets, and you have all kinds of stuff that, that we need you to take care of this, or we're not going to renew your license. And the guy goes, oh, wow, how, how much do I owe? And the, the, the guy's like, oh, you owe like $5,000. And if you don't pay that right now, uh, I'll give you a month before you know, your license ends. If you don't pay that $5,000 within a month, we're, we're, we're going to revoke your license. And the guy says, oh, all right, um, I'll see what I can do over the next month to pull this money together, I guess. But he's got an idea. Because he's got this friend that's a judge. And he goes, goes over to his friend, the judge, and he says, uh, Judge, you know, I've got this $5,000 bill that I've got to pay uh, for the MVA. Uh, is there any way, I know you're kind of a man that's got a lot of power. Is there any way that you could kind of take care of that, you know, do your magic on that? And the judge kind of looks at him cockeyed and kind of goes... Yeah, I think there's something I can do. And three weeks go by, and the guy hasn't heard anything, and he goes, well, you know, it's about a month or about a week away from my license being revoked, so I'm going to go back over to this judge and just make sure everything was taken care of. And he, he goes to the judge, and the judge, and he says, Judge, um, that uh, parking ticket situation, um, uh, did, um, did we take care of that? And the judge says, oh, yeah, don't, don't worry about it. It's all taken care of. And the guy's like, wow, that's some power you have. To be able to, to do that, to be able to just wipe that away, i, I got to ask, uh, you know, how'd you do it? How, how'd you, how'd you, how'd you t- talk them into forgetting about this, this huge bill? And the judge kind of gets a smirk on his face, and he says, here's what I did. I went down to the clerk's office, and I gave them $5,000. And the guy's like, what? I paid the debt. That's the way that we put this whole thing back together. That's the way we got you right. And you'll have your license within the week because I paid the debt. And the guy's like, oh, well, I'll pay you back, man. I, 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 I'm so sorry. I didn't mean for you to do that. I, I will pay you back. And the, guy's, the judge says, no, no, no. You don't owe me a dime. I do hope that you know that I'm your friend <laughs> for having done this. And I do hope that you'll pay this kindness forward. But this was something I did because of I, I love you and I want to give you a clean slate. See, that's what God, the judge, did for us in Jesus. He paid the debt by putting on flesh, living a righteous life, and going to the cross for our sins. He, he paid the debt 
and took the penalty for our deficit of righteousness. And now, through the power of his resurrection, he has defeated death, he has defeated sin, and he has welcomed us into his new life of new creation. He has welcomed us into the new way of being human. That is how Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. That is how Jesus fulfilled the mission of Israel. And our life of faith, our life of faith is a response, not to to earn God's love, it's a response to the grace that He has shown us. Faith isn't the thing that earns our salvation any more than works. Faith is the badge we wear in response to the love that He has shown us. And when we fail, friends, which unfortunately we will, We gather as a church and we remind each other that it never was our own righteousness that we were trusting in in the first place. Because in Christ alone, our hope is found. In Christ alone, our righteousness is found. In Christ alone, our holiness is found. And in Christ alone, we get to be in right relationship with our Creator. Let's pray. Father, when we are doing business with this idea of the cross and the idea that you put on flesh for us and you climbed on the cross because you could have stopped it at any moment, you got on the cross and you paid that debt, you paid the penalty for our sin, removing the bondage of sin and death that we had. Father, we are awestruck and we are overwhelmed by that sort of love. By the sort of love that reminds us that our Creator loves us. That our Creator desires relationship with us. That our Creator desires holiness and righteousness for us. Father, if there is anyone in this room that hasn't declared that faith and declared that responsive love to the world and to Uh, to this community, I just pray that today would be the day that they make that choice. That today that would be the day that says, I don't want to go one more day without proclaiming the love of Jesus Christ that he has for me and that I can declare back to the world. Show us this new way to be human, Lord. Show us this new path of righteousness and holiness as it's defined by you, as it's interpreted by you. Not so that we can earn this through some sort of the checklist, but rather that we can live freely into your grace. That's what we ask today. Father, I just ask that my friends would see this and respond to the kind of love that they that, that their Father has for them. And this in the most holy name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.